Hello and welcome to an episode of the Light Gray Art Lab podcast, special edition Shuffle Buddies. My name is Chris Heine. <laughs> and I'm Francesca Puchko. And we're here to talk to you about tabletop games. And uh, it's been a while. I think the last episode we announced it was going to become a regular thing. And then it was radio silence for a month and a half or so. But for good reason. Uh, kind of good reasons. I got ridiculously ill. Like to That's the point where my reason. head was, my neck was going to explode. And I was surprised my skin returned to its normal state because it was swollen uh, like the size of a banana under my skin. And you never found out what it was too, huh? Not really, no. Yeah, it was a mystery, mystery disease. Um, but during that time, I lost the ability to speak. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And then, uh, and then after that, we both headed to Asia mm-hmm. separately. Different parts too. Different, different parts countries. Of, yeah, it was totally random that we both were going at the same time. But I went to Japan. I went to China. I went mm-hmm. for fun. I went for work. Yeah. <laughs> but I had fun. All fun, all the time. Yeah. So you went to Japan. I went to China. Wait, and, what? Uh, sorry, vice versa. <laughs> I went to Japan. You went to China. I wish I went to Japan. Jealous. Yeah. I'd like to go to China too, so. Okay, we should just switch. We should, yeah, I guess, I don't know if you're going to Japan anytime soon. Uh, who knows? Who knows what the future holds for us, Francesca? Who knows? Yeah, but it's a mystery. Uh, on the trip, I brought a bunch of games with the intention of playing some, and I, I definitely didn't play as many as I wanted to, mm-hmm. but uh, I spend a lot of time in airplanes, which seems like Ugh. an okay time to play games, kind of. I think the most fun I've had with games on airplanes has been iPad games, and I remember when we were playing, St- or not studying Emerald, <laughs> we were playing Elder Signs, and just oh, yeah. it was, it was yep. pass and play, mm-hmm. which is fun. That was really fun. Yeah, and I had a couple games in my bag that I packed, but I did not pull them out on the plane. I hate airplanes. I am <laughs> much too big for airplanes. Uh, yeah. Standing well, 6'4", and I don't know how wide my shoulders are, but they're probably about six inches or f- so wider than the average person, I would guess. And which seat did you have? Were you On the way aisle? there, I had an aisle seat. So it was one of those flights that was like three seats and then four seats in the middle and then three seats on the other side. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. So I was on the middle section on the aisle. Okay. Is that your preferred seat? No, it's not my preferred seat. But What's your what's your preferred seat? Window? I don't know. I never I have never had a window seat since I <laughs> met Lindsay. She will refuse to let me sit by the window. She has to sit by the window. See, my preferred seat is the aisle. I used to think the window was it, but I I like the option of getting up whenever I feel like it and I do. So yeah. I always get the aisle now. Well, I I guess I prefer the aisle because I can kind of stick my leg out into it a little bit, which probably sounds annoying to everybody, but I will tell you that my legs are literally three inches longer than the area you can sit in. So I have to turn to the left or right. It is literally impossible for me to stick my legs straight out to sit like a normal human being. Yeah. So on this flight, I sat in the aisle, which means for 12 hours, I constantly got smashed in my left shoulder as carts came past and I, I can't. I am just wider on each side than the seat. Like there's nothing I can do about it. Just on the tips of my shoulders. So I keep getting like this, uh, whatever. It's a long flight. Oh, I have a fun plane story that doesn't have anything to do with games that I can tell really quick. Okay. On the way there this time, this is the first time this has ever happened to me. And I wondered when it would be, but the, the captain came on the intercom and was like, if there's a doctor on board, can he please report, he or she please report to the back of the plane. And my coworker, Annie, and I were sitting 
like two seats from the back of the plane. And it was like, oh, crap, somebody's having a heart attack. But it wasn't. It was a two-year-old child that had a peanut allergy, and there are peanuts on the plane. And three doctors, including one pediatrician and a nurse, came back there. And they basically fawned over this child for maybe like two hours while we were on the plane. So that was that was interesting. The kid was sick because there was peanuts like in the air? I think I think he actually ate a peanut. I think they just didn't, I don't know. I don't think the mother knew that the child had a peanut allergy because she seemed surprised. Also, she was, I'm pretty sure she was Chinese mm-hmm. and she did not speak English. Oh, okay. so, so that was interesting too. But these doctors all came over and... They got ice cream and ice and stuff, and I guess he got a rash. He he was fine. He ended up being fine. He was fine within like a half an hour, mm. but um, but yeah. So that was that doc- or the captain came on the intercom, and I was like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> this is it. And and the the flight is like maybe about thirteen hours or something, thirteen fourteen hours. Yeah. And we were probably three hours in the air, and I was like, oh. so that well, happened on the plane. I broke out my trusty iPad. And I actually played a lot of board games and I consider it playing board games. Like I have a lot of board games. on. My I was iPad. wondering if you did because I do. I have some too and I don't know. I really only kind of consider it if I'm playing with another person. Do you count them on Board Game Geek? If, as I'm, games? if I'm playing in person with another physical being, I do. Yes. Okay. Yep. And that's kind of the distinction I made. So if I play okay. it with someone else, so it's the basically, same activity as playing a board game in person. So you're so saying... That if you're playing against AI, it doesn't count. Right. I don't, I don't log it if I play against AI. So if you're playing against data, it wouldn't count. <laughs> he's, he's more than just a regular AI. He's special. That's so true. I would, if I played a game with data, I would count it on my board game geek log. Good. That's good. Um, yeah, but it was really cool. I didn't really expect to play anything, kind of. But then um, Lindsay got pretty bored as well. Uh, and we played a whole bunch of games. And I'll just list them and maybe tell you a two-second synopsis about them if you've never heard of them but uh we played alhambra which is kind of a classic tile game where you're you're buying tiles with the different currencies and building a i guess an alhambra uh which is like some sort of palace or something it's not the best ipad implementation i've ever seen it's kind of it's kind of like those first generation board game looking things they're not quite as slick and polished as the new board game at a adaptations on the on the ipad but it was it was pretty good and Lindsay really liked that one we actually played we (laughs) so i just noticed that uh next was agricola or maybe first was agricola okay well i played that one that's because we just went on my ipad and Lindsay started picking them in alphabetical order because i have them arranged in alphabetical order Mm -hmm. and so we were just going to play them all so i'm probably forgetting some because i know there's something before agricola and alhambra but i can't remember what it is but uh, these were just ones off the top of my head. And Agricola is the most exciting game ever about being <laughs> the world's most average subsistence farmer. And you're <laughs> trying to have a farm that doesn't do anything too well, but does a little bit of everything. Um, and the board game app is really good. Although I'm kind of, maybe I'm kind of dumb, but I have a hard time learning from board game apps. I know some people are like, oh, it's so easy because it's got a tutorial and it teaches you the rules and things like that. But, but it sort of does it for you though. Yeah, it does it for you and you don't have to move the things and you don't get a full understanding of what you're actually doing and what the actual consequences are. So I actually bought uh, Agricola as an app a long time ago, when it first, like right when it launched. And I tried to play it and I was just like, I don't get it. I couldn't quite tolerate 
sitting through the tutorial and, and I felt like dumb and I felt like I was fumbling in the dark. And then I actually found the actual physical board game really cheaply and I picked it up and I sat down and I read the rules and I moved the pieces around the board and instantly I knew how to play it. And once I did that, I could go back to the app and play it perfectly. And I was like, oh, this is a great app. But learning from an app, especially for a Euro game or something um, where it's a lot more drawn out and the consequences don't play out for a lot longer down the line, uh, I find it really difficult. So the Agricola app is really good, but I might not recommend it unless if you know how to play Agricola. Although I, I think, think there's a lot of stuff where it's like it magically arranges itself right. and it makes it kind of Well, for sure, weird. Eclipse is a game. It's like a space Euro yeah. Where you're traveling around space, but it's not really like a combat game. You're really just managing your um, different tracks of economy and, and um, production and all sorts of different things. And that one has this very, 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 very clever system of removing tokens from a player board. So it's like the more you spread out, the more stretched your resources are. And as you remove tokens from your player board and put them out on the board saying, I captured this planet or I'm, I'm, I'm putting this over here, your upkeep or the amount you have to pay every turn increases as well. And it's kind of revealed on your player board as you remove pieces from your player board, mm-hmm. which in the board game makes like so much sense that I'm just like, this is so clever. But on the app, because I couldn't see how that economy system was being revealed, I was just like, I don't really get why I'm like negative 15 now when a second ago I was negative 10 and you know, like it just didn't like click with me until I actually sat down and I did it. And, um, and now I really, really like eclipse, but it was kind of, I liked it kind of before, but I never felt like in control. And then I played the board game once and I came back and played the app and I just totally decimated the AI in it because I, I had a much more fundamental understanding of how the game was played. It's part of the reason I love Tabletopia so much is because it doesn't do that for you. You have to figure it out yeah. or you're basically just playing a game. You need, Yeah, you need to know the rules. You need to read the rule book and there's no assistance. Um, yeah, and I think we mentioned Tabletopia. It's a great online resource. And yeah. uh, the, the game we're going to talk about later, we actually played on Tabletopia. We did. So it's a really awesome resource. And, I, and that is why I like Tabletopia over uh, a straight up kind of uh, implementation where they enforce like the an rules app. and yeah, they kind yeah. of do all the upkeep and rules enforcement for you. I, I like to do it myself. So I really understand what's happening. Yeah. Uh, I also played can't stop, which is a very, very simple push your luck dice rolling game. I have a physical copy of it from like the 1981 version and I have it displayed up on top of my game shelf. Cause I think it's a pretty iconic box and I just kind of like it so it's a really simple really like you could it's almost similar to skull where it's very simple but there's a lot of tension and and in this case not bluffing but you're rolling dice and pushing your luck and and trying to push it as far as you can handle and the last one infection humanity's Mm -hmm. last gasp and it is actually a solo game in real life by victory point games I believe And it is similar a little bit to Pandemic because you're trying to cure diseases, but it's more at like a very intimate level where you're every turn you're harvesting DNA protein strands um, and trying to sequence like the different strains of the disease, but every turn it also can mutate. So it's kind of puzzly. Uh, It's really good though. And the app is fantastic. Like even if you've never played the game, I think the app is, is really good. It's one of my favorite solo games so. have you played it uh outside of the app i own it yeah and so behind on games yeah you gotta catch up i do 
Tell me the litany of games you played on the that plane. I played on the plane. I don't know if I played a single. Oh, you know what? I did, and you're going to hate me. Oh, what's that? I I played pocket trains. Pocket trains. Pocket trains. Did uh, I talk about pocket trains in a man, What a painful game to play on that because all you do is watch a timer in that so you're already trying to pass the time and then you're just staring at a timer no but i i have reached i'm at the point in pocket trains where i don't even really have to worry about the timer because i have so many trains if one of them runs out of fuel which takes a while i already have like 20 more trains that i need to take care of so i could play pocket trains on loop forever but i eventually get bored of doing that you'll be happy to know that i expend the united states and i have minneapolis now no thank Good. god I know, thank God. Uh, no, um, but usually on planes, like I draw a lot. I draw a lot, a lot. I read a lot, and sometimes I watch a movie if I'm feeling really bored. And then I bang my head on the wall because I'm so sick of being on planes. Okay. Yeah, I wish I had more exciting. <laughs> yeah, I know. Sad, huh? Forever pocket trains. Yeah. Well, I mean, you didn't really explain, but pocket trains is a free-to-play iOS game where you're yeah. buying it's- trains and sending things on routes, and then unloading trains and then loading trains and yeah it's it's by the same people that did tiny tower so if you've ever played tiny tower this is the train version and i really like trains a lot and the cool thing is you can get more trains so (laughs) that's a good reason to get it so yeah pocket trains isn't really much of a game either but we'll talk about real games now because i didn't play any in a plane i did play some in china though or at least one oh yeah what'd you play in china in China, I played Skull, and I had been meaning to do this. In fact, the last trip, I raided, I literally raided the hotel, like, storage room because I knew that they put out, they always had these little, like, paper coasters. And Skull, which, have we talked about Skull before on this podcast? Yeah, I we can't have. Remember. Yeah, we have. We have? Okay, good, yeah. good. It's poker without the cards. It's a, it's a bluffing only kind of super Quick. short but tense game. Yeah. And so I was like, this would be amazing because every once in a while, if we have a, like a dinner and it's fun, dinner in China is really fun because it's like everybody comes. So there's a ton of people. And I was like, man, if only I had skull here with me, we could play it. So I found some coasters and I made a skull, a version of skull. And we never did get to play it, but I did bring it to Bryce Canyon and we played it in Bryce Canyon, (laughs) my Welton hotel coaster set, which I still have. But then you were magically able to find a copy of skull because it was out of print at the time i was looking for it and i don't know how you found it but you did well it's back in print now so i think oh, anybody could find it good yeah good go buy skull because it's awesome and i so i brought that game with me this this uh current time and one of the parts of our trip or one of our like tasks we had to go to this other city in china that is a four-hour ride on a high-speed train which was really fun but it means sitting in a, a train station waiting for the train to come. So I had brought Skull, Annie, my coworker, and me. And then we had three of our other coworkers from China. Two of them can speak English pretty well. And then one of them can barely. Like, he doesn't speak English. He understands some. Yeah. And so I was like, this is cool. We're going to do this in both Chinese and English because Annie and I know we're, we're learning Chinese and I know all the numbers and skull has a lot to do with numbers. So you just say, you know, if you, you know, however many you can flip, you say San for three, you know? So it was really fun. And actually, and I figured they would like it. Like everybody got really into it. And the funny part was we were playing it in the train station, kind of like in our laps and in like a circle. Mm-hmm. And we gathered a crowd of people <laughs> of like onlookers 
and they are so unapologetically watching us play this game. It was really funny. Like they were just craning their necks. They got like everybody got really into it. It was funny. Serena, so one of our Chinese coworkers, she she can speak English pretty well. She would think so hard about what she was going to flip. So everybody's just like craning their neck, waiting, like waiting and yeah. waiting. And then Eddie, who doesn't speak any English, would be like, "Come on, come on!" You know, like you gotta, you gotta make a choice. She actually won once, and then Annie won once too. But I was actually really impressed because usually when I, I've taught this game quite a few times. Anytime I teach it, the it seems the reaction of people is to be play it really cautious.、Mm-hmm. Like nobody wants to make a bet. Yeah. But when I taught it there, everybody was betting like crazy. Like it was, it was give it all or nothing. Did the games end via two point scores or by two point、uh, two point scores two point scores? Oh, good. That's the good、yeah. way. I actually had a lot of fun just watching people watch us. Yeah, it's like a high stakes game of poker that was happening. Yeah, it right felt, it felt like we were playing. Playing poker in a train station—it totally did. Yeah, so it was fun. So that was that was the best game experience I had in China. So how about you? I played one game, maybe two games of Motainai, which we talked about previously, and that's where you're—it's、um, kind of you're making gifts in a Buddhist temple, and and Motainai is actually a very familiar phrase in Japanese. It, it it's something along the lines of "Don't be wasteful" or "or be mindful of the waste you make" or something like that.、Mm-hmm. Um, And I told my hosts Mike and Ruth, who who I was visiting, about the game, and I said it was called Motainai, and they're like, "Oh!" and they knew exactly what it meant. So I was glad to see that. And then also, I was like, "Yeah, it's got kind of a weird theme. You're you know you're making like gifts for your gift shop in a Buddhist temple." And they're like, "Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. All Buddhist <laughs> temples have gift shops." And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's funny because I wondered that too." Like. I remember when we learned it. I, I love Motainai; it's one of my favorites. But I was just like, "Is there a reason that we're like building stuff in a temple?" Like it seemed. But I guess again, I don't know. I don't yeah. Know well, actually, I, I learned a lot about Buddhist and Shinto temples and things, and they do have gift shops to to kind of make some of their money. And they also you can like rent rooms inside of those, and they just rent them to people. To sell stuff or just for fun. Just to rent a room for to like stay in if you need a hotel or something, you can just oh, rent interesting. A room in a Buddhist Did you do、temple. it? No, no, I didn't do it. But they were just telling us about it, and it, and I don't even think it's like a, like a super touristy, like ooh, to check out this experience. It's just like something that they've always done, maybe to to make money. That's that's at least what I was told. So,、uh, so I thought it was pretty interesting. But the the thing about Motainai that I thought was very fitting is that we played it one night when we we took a bullet train all the way down to Hiroshima. And then took another train to Miyajima Gucci, and I'm probably murdering all these pronunciations. But then we took a ferry to Miyajima, which is this magical island that has a mountain on it,、uh, that has monkeys living on the mountain, and it has deer, like friendly deer, just roaming everywhere,、Aww. like down the city streets and stuff. And the city is like a tiny little village or whatever, but. They're just everywhere. Like you get off the ferry and they're coming over to see if anybody's got treats for them or whatever. But、Aww. and we kind of got there and it was already getting dark and we really hadn't explored. So we're like, let's just spend the night in this place. And we looked around for a place and the only place we could find was this onsen, which is like a geothermal spa.、Mm-hmm. So it was like a hotel in at the spa. It was a hotel and it had an onsen in the basement. But in this hotel, you also had to constantly. If you were in the hotel, you had to wear a yukata, which is kind of like a、uh, a sleepy 
kimono, not like a fancy kimono because kimonos are for very fancy occasions. But it's just, you know, it's kind of like what you see samurais wearing in movies and things where it's just kind of like a bath, bathrobe, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you had to wear those in slippers while you were in the hotel. And, and it was just a little tiny hotel and you slept on like tatami mats and futons and, and you know, there's no chairs. You had to sit on the floor. So we were wearing these yukata and sitting on tatami mats and playing on like those tiny little tables. Uh, and out our window was a giant pagoda and uh a tori and a, a shinto shrine and i was just like wow there is no more appropriate place to play this unless it was a buddhist shrine or a temple so that's awesome that yeah. must have felt really surreal yeah it was just really funny so um yeah but that's pretty much all we did uh, i brought some games but really we were really busy and just never had a chance that's the thing like i mean you're traveling when do you get to you know yeah although while i was there i really i kind of got interested halfway through the trip and i was like i know there's a lot of like japanese board game designers so i was like where can i buy some japanese board games in the city yeah well there's cities all over the place so then i started googling it and it was actually really kind of difficult to find out where i mean if i was in tokyo it might have been easier but i was in like kobe and osaka and uh kyoto kind of down that way down south yeah and i kept finding references to a place called yellow submarine actually there's another place called tokyo hands and that's kind of where i got the idea because i was in this place which sells kind of everything and i found the board game section and it had the japanese settlers of Catan and japanese um, Scotland Yard. It was called Scotland. See, that's funny. Like it's like <laughs> basically every game that you already have, but in Japanese. Yeah, and so it was, it was Scotland Yard, Tokyo, which I thought was funny because Scotland Yard is kind of already a kind of specific to London, but whatever. Um, so they had some kind of bigger but still hobby board games in there, and I thought that was interesting. And I was wondering if there was anywhere that had more and a little bit more obscure games mm-hmm. um, so i found this place online called yellow submarine i started looking for it and i didn't want to take a lot of our time to go way out of our way to find these stores so i kind of kept in mind when we were in a city where that had one and then i would look at the map and see how close we were and it wasn't until one of the final days but we ended up being probably within a 20 minute walk Lindsay was fine with it so we walked and and actually found it and I believe we were in Kyoto that day. And there's bigger ones in Osaka and, and much bigger ones in Tokyo. But I didn't know what to expect. It seemed like from the recommendations I found online that it it happened to sell some board games, but it wasn't really a board game store. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we found it, it would it, if you weren't looking for it, it would have been really easy to miss because it was a kind of sandwich board that said Yellow Submarine, but the sign wasn't even yellow. I think it was blue with a blue submarine on it. And then it was also on the fourth floor and you had to take like an elevator up there of this really narrow building. So we took the elevator up and it was actually bigger than I thought. It wasn't huge, but it was bigger than I thought it was going to be. And mostly they dealt in collectible card games. So magic and it looked like there was some... Did they um, have Netrunner? They did have Netrunner. Although that's not the kind of collectible card. These are like the CCGs where you have to buy by the rare so they had like lots of singles um kind of singles bins so you could, oh man like, did you buy any netrunner cards that are japanese i didn't but i actually that was like one it. of my goals they only have right now in japan i guess the core set oh so bummer. i would have had to buy this big box and it would have been yeah. like 50 bucks or whatever and i was yeah. like yeah so if they would have had the data packs i probably yeah. would have 
figured out which one has a, a, a card that I really like and bought that one just so I could have like a Japanese a version. Card. Yeah, like if I had the Japanese Eater and Gravedigger, oh man, oh, that you would know, be so I, amazing. Next time I go to China, I'm going to go to Hong Kong and look for the Chinese Netrunner cards because I, I know they exist. I've they seen do them exist. And I think, they've been in, I think they've been in China longer than they've been in Japan. Cause really? I, I actually remember them when they came out in Japan and I've seen, well, at least I've seen Chinese like scans of the Chinese cards. So maybe somebody was just making those. I'm not sure. They do have them in Japan and I thought about it, but I didn't get them. Yeah. But otherwise the store was very white, which I just remember it was very bright and white. They had a lot of cl- collectible singles and then they did have a big wall of the American European style games, like all the ones you would kind of know and expect like Caverna and and pandemic and all the kind of big ones in America. But I did notice that they were all the same size as they are in America, which I kind of expected, but also board game boxes in general are just too big. And in America, that's fine because I can have a whole room in my house dedicated to keeping these boxes or whatever. But uh, in Japan, they're a lot tighter for space. So I I was kind of surprised they didn't shrink it down. Although I found Machi Koro and its box was so much more appropriately sized and cute. Oh, it was really I kind of wanted to buy it just for the box because I was like, this is like amazing. It was like a tiny cereal box or something. Oh, why don't we do that? I don't know, because they have to compete on the store shelves. I don't know. We could do a whole episode about packaging for board games. We probably should. But yeah, I I actually do know we've had this conversation. Someday we should talk about it. But I would also definitely appreciate some of the games being smaller because it's getting to the point where there's enough board games in this apartment that anything else is going to start encroaching on living space. Yeah. Which but is a anyway. shame because if they were just smaller, it wouldn't, yeah. I, mean, I feel like that's the number one reason that people just are like, ah, I'm done. I've got too many. Look how much space it takes. If they just took less space, yeah. it would be better for everybody. It would be better for everybody. And most of the box is just air. So it's, it's nice when you get a box that is of the proper size for whatever's inside. And you're just like, look at this. Wow. It like fills the space and it actually is necessary. Somebody um, did their Tetrising correctly. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, those were on the outside wall, but on the inside wall directly across the aisle from the kind of big uh, American and European board games was the, I guess I would call them local, not local to Kyoto, I'm sure, but like the Japanese board games. Japanese published board games. And um, the contrast was pretty striking. I, the boxes, the biggest box was as small as the smallest box on the other wall. Like, (laughs) and they came in just much, much smaller boxes. And I was just like, wow. And it, because of that, I was just like, I want all these, look how cute these are. Look at this little tiny box that has a whole game inside. Uh, So I started to look through them. Oh, I forgot to mention, we walked into this place and it was on the fourth floor and Japanese uh, buildings have a problem with moisture. Japan is tropical and it's just humid. Well, at least really the part humid. you were in, right? Yeah, I think all of it's pretty humid. It's and all tropical. pretty tropical, yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not around like the mountains to the north or something, but um, for sure, most of it's pretty tropical and it's it's very moist and it's and I don't know if this is the reason, but they don't really they didn't really have circulation and we walked in to a fistful of funk. It was <laughs> gross. <laughs> It was like walking in, I don't know, to somebody's mouth or armpit or something. It was pretty bad. Uh, And I, of course, noticed it. And Lindsay and we both kind of went, and I was like, whatever, I'm here. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And I ran in. I I was looking through all the Japanese games. And of course, they don't have English on them. I was kind of, I did have Mike let me borrow his phone so I could use the data. And Mm -hmm. I was, so I was looking up Board Game Geek and I was um, 
just checking out titles and on board game geek they have a really handy uh section uh, right on the front of every game that you look up and it's a language dependency section and it will say like not language dependent only uses icons or it will say very language dependent lots of text on every card or something like that oh man that's amazing good good job so i was looking at that to figure out well first if i could parse the title and actually type it into board game geek I would look it up. So I was picking up boxes that I thought looked interesting and or anything I might have recognized. And then I would type it into Board Game Geek as fast as possible and see if it was language dependent or not. And I did that for a while. And I actually picked up about four, five games. And then I was like, this is probably enough. I, I have to bring these home. So I probably shouldn't. This is good. I'm done looking. And I just made my decision and I picked up these five games. And of course, combined and all stacked together they're still smaller than one american board game box but uh i thought it was plenty and so i bought all my games and then right before i left i just took a stroll around the store so the main store was kind of right up in front and it was this long rectangular room and then there was a hallway that went off and there was like tables set up in this hallway and then another room that was also very narrow it was kind of more like an l shape than it was like a hallway in a room it was just kind of like two narrow rooms that formed an l shape and there was people playing there was like tons of people in there playing and i just wanted to see what they're playing and everyone i saw was playing either magic or some sort of ccg so which is the same as in america yeah so i was kind of bummed out because i was hoping they'd be playing some sweet board games but they were all playing collectible card games which is fine and that's what i kind of expected now i think about it i do have another gaming story but it's not really about board games but we when we went to the the city that was four hours away on the train i actually woke up really early so I could go for a walk and I found a coffee shop and then I noticed there was an upstairs and they had like a giant cutout of a some kind of transformer or something or a mech at the base of the stairs and I was like cool so I went upstairs and it was really really dark and I walked a little bit further back and there was nobody in the front part walked a little bit further back and there was like rows and rows and rows of tables with massive computer monitors and in front of, or yeah, right in front of each monitor was a lazy boy chair and a massive pair of headphones. And then if I went, I walked all the way around, way, way in the back, there was just a ton of people <laughs> sitting in these lazy boy chairs and playing some kinds of MMOs. I didn't oh, look yeah. super close. I had heard of these things before, but it was interesting seeing it in real life and also just walking through and nobody, nobody even knows you're there. Like you're not even present. The chairs that they were sitting in were like... Were they like I'm, big black lazy boy type big chairs? Big black lazy boy chairs, like huge chairs. Yeah, I've seen them. You know? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It was crazy. So that was kind of cool. I would have played board games in that coffee shop if there was someone else there. Well, I, I, I did not think about playing board games in this board game store, but I left. And then I also found out that there was a board game cafe within oh, like five minutes. Oh, you did minutes. find one. Yeah. So we walked to that one and it was, it was called Meeple Cafe. Oh, it looked like the the That's graphic cute. design and things maybe it's a chain i don't know but it was it looked very much like i would expect signage for a english or american board game cafe that's the cutest name Bubble ever i want a then, cafe named meeple cafe now and i found it pretty easily and then i went up there and it was also packed i walked up to it just to peek in and the door was automated and it slid open it was on the second floor and then there was a dude standing there and waiting to like seat me and he didn't speak any English. And I kind of like looked at him and he kind of was like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> and then he like looked around and he's, I think he was going to tell me that there was no spots. 
Uh-huh. And then he and then he was gonna tell me to wait or something, and I was just like, no, 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 just peeking, just peeking. And then I like leaned my head in and looked around, and I was like, okay, I'm good. And then I left. But also, when I peeked my head in, I hit the wall of funk again. <laughs> <laughs> exactly the same funk that was in the other one. So uh, that was my oh, experience, and I'm sure, and I, yeah, I'm sure it was more just because they're cramped and crowded, and in that place they were serving food and things. So there's like just like. You know, the air was like humid and moist. Yeah, I was gonna and... say, is it is it hot or was it hot when you were there? No, it wasn't hot when we were there. It was like it was about as warm as it was here, fifty yeah. degrees or so. So yeah. you did get to go to a Japanese cafe. That's well, awesome. I checked it out. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't know if I'd sit there and play anyway because we got a lot of things to do, and I didn't know if we wanted to like sit in a board game cafe. Yeah, but I got both of them, so then I was happy, and I got my five wonderful games. All right, let's hear it. Oh, you want to hear about them? Okay, well, I I'm going to tell them to you one at a time instead of trying to read all their titles, although they have very simple titles. Well, I'll tell you about the first one I got, which was One Night Werewolf. Does that sound familiar? Yep. That's because this is the original version of One Night Ultimate Werewolf that was released in Japan, and then it was picked up what? by Biazir Games and brought it to America. And then they they expanded huh. upon it because my One Night Werewolf, I don't, did I show you this box or anything? No. Also, I didn't know it was Japanese. I mean, Werewolf is not originally Japanese, but One Night is. And it's like a distillation of the werewolf formula where one team secretly is werewolves and one team is humans and everyone closes their eyes and the werewolves know who each other are. And they, in the regular werewolf, they kind of slowly kill off the humans one a night. The humans vote to kill somebody every day. And if they kill a werewolf, then hooray for them. But if they don't, then they just continue on with the, with the process of slowly dying every night. But the problem mm-hmm. is it can go on a long time uh, and it doesn't give you a lot of information, especially in the early rounds. Um, but one night ultimate werewolf turns that into one round and it's just, everyone's assigned a secret role. You close your eyes. There's actually an app that guides you through it. Although um, with less characters or the simpler version, you really don't need the app. You can do it without the app. Everyone closes their eyes. They do things. They switch cards. They look at other people's cards. Um, the werewolves look at each other and all these different things happen. You all open your eyes and then you have five minutes to just talk. No rules. No holds barred. Just discuss. At the end of five minutes, you point at somebody who you think is the werewolf and whoever has the majority of fingers pointed at him dies. If it was a werewolf, the humans win. If it was a human, the werewolves win. Uh, and that's pretty much it. And so it's all together. It's an eight minute game, maybe. Uh, and it's a great social deduction game. The Japanese version doesn't have as many characters, but the f- characters are funny. You're either on the wolf team or the man team. Mm-hmm. You're like a villager, but there's also Phantom Thief is one of the roles. Uh, the artwork for it is this hilarious little tiny pixel art, very non-threatening pixel art. Mm-hmm. And the box for it is seriously tiny i guess it's like a deck of 52 cards it's like a, a little tiny bitty box but it's a it's a a paper wrapped rigid board box but it's like the size of a. it feels like a matchbook when you're holding it it's really small and it has these little tiny little tiles on it in it that are probably an inch by an inch or maybe an inch by an inch and a half i guess just these little tiny pieces so it's a very small compact package and as soon as i saw it i knew what it was because i was like oh it's one night werewolf and I was like, I have to buy it. Even if I never play it, I have to buy it just to own it because it's so adorable. It's cute. Yeah. yeah, it's cute. And also, I mean, th- I feel like that's how I would probably pick a game ultimately from Japan or another country. Is like, I, I kind of know how to play this game. I've heard of it. Like, even if you don't play it, like, it's 
it's kind of how I buy books. Like I almost bought, I almost bought the Hobbit in Chinese when I was in China because it's like, well, I'm probably never going to read this actually, but I've read it. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. So that's why I got that one. So that one is semi exciting. I mean, I know how to play it. And if I was going to play it, I probably would just play with the English version because it has a way more characters and way more variety. Right, right, right. Um, But it's a really cute little curiosity. It's the, a it's a souvenir. Yeah, it is a souvenir. The next three games were all by the same publisher called Oink Games. And, Does it have a pig logo? Um, let me check. It has like oh. a, an oval with two dots in it, so a pig nose, I guess. Oh, I was kind of hoping it would just be the what is it? The Icelandic, the Icelandic grocery store. Oh, bonus. Oh, it's bonus. Yeah, yeah. bonus. The bonus pig. The bonus pig. Everyone, go look up the bonus pig online. It's pretty great. But anyway, so it was by Oink Games and the first and they come in these adorable little boxes that are just like a few inches tall and maybe an inch deep, very small. And they fit everything inside perfectly, like right up to the brim. So they're really well packed. Uh, And the first one I got is called Nine Tiles. It's a very descriptive name because in this game, everyone has these tiles. You get nine of them and Mm -hmm. they just have simple icons on them. There's like an orange donut and then a yellow circle and a pink plus. So there's these really graphic shapes. They are kind of stylized a little bit, but then you just lay your tiles out in a grid of three by three and everyone lays out their tiles on each side of a tile. There's a different graphic. So on one side, it might have one of the orange circles and the other side, it might have a pink plus. So everyone has the same set of nine tiles, but they all look differently when you lay them on a grid because you don't do anything specific with them. And then there's one tiny deck that's the same size as these little square tiles You flip it over and it has a grid of nine tiles with these symbols. And all you have to do is flip and move your symbols and your tiles as fast as possible to match the grid on the card. Oh, interesting. So it's it's kind of a brain burner because you'll get it 90% of the way there. And then you're like, all I need is a pink plus. And then you turn over the one tile that's left and there's not a pink plus on either side. So then you're like, crap. So then you have, you have to like, to yeah, you have to like start flipping all the tiles and try and keep in mind what you're looking for and keep in mind where it's placed. So it's just like a really quick dexterity spatial awareness game. The first person to get their uh, grid to look exactly like the one on the card just slaps the card like you're buzzing in and the price is right or something. Yeah. And whoever slaps it first, you check to see if they're right, of course. And then if they're right, they collect a card. You reveal the next card. And then however everyone's set up at that point, you just immediately start the next one. So it goes really quick because you're just like flip, blah, 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 blah. And everyone's like going flip, flip, flip. And then you smack. And then you flip, blah, 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 smack. It's a very simple game, really you know, you're probably not going to play it a million times in your life. It's kind of a, a simple little dexterity matching game or something. It sounds but, cute, though. Yeah, and because it's so intense and you and it's a speed thing, people get really into it. And they'll do things where they're slapping each other's hand because it's coming down to the wire. And their smack talking started happening pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are, good. those are always a good game, yeah. then. So I, I thought that one was pretty good. It went over really well. Spoiler, I liked all these. Uh, so. <laughs> One day we're going to have a uh, podcast where we talk about only games we hate. Yeah. But it's not going to be the rest of the, all the other podcasts. We basically only talk about games we like. So well, I was in a frantic hurry to look up to see if I could even speak the language. But I also was trying to get as quickly as possible an impression of if it was at least that decent game. I kind of did my homework as best as I could in the 15 minutes I was trying to frantically pick up games in this game store but yeah um the second one is a really funny title i think i don't think i told you what these games are but this one is a really funny title you're gonna like okay ready okay okay ready it is called a fake artist goes to new york that's the name of the game that's the that's the name of the game is it one of those 
It sounds like it was directly translated from Japanese. I don't know if it was. It, I can't tell. I mean, it has a Japanese name, but I can't read it. So it's like the beginning of a like a uh, like a man walked into a bar joke. Well, here's the description: too easily get some money and fame. Imposter decided to be an artist in New York. Do you know what skill is necessary for artists? It's the ability to speak. I like that. Yeah. Wow, that sounds. I'm I'm intrigued. You would I'd love like the packaging. This. It's got like it's in that tiny box again. It's bright pink and then in bright yellow it has like a horizon line and a tiny little cityscape and then an airplane flying like two inches above oh, this boy, top, I do like tallest airplane. building so it's this cute little box and this game is great this game is easily described as spyfall with drawing if you I like uh, those things so i'm not even going to describe what spyfall is i'll just describe the game but if you're aware of spyfall you probably already have your 90 percent of the way there so in the box you get title cards colored pens, a whiteboard marker, and then drawing paper. And you give everyone a little tile, and it's these tiny little whiteboard tiles. uh, And they have colors on the back, so you know who's who. And you get a pen to match. And one person gets to be the question master. And they get to choose anything. They could say a dog, or New York City, or uh, a banana, or whatever they want to say. And they write it on all of the tiny little dry erase boards. Mm-hmm. except for one and on one of them they just put an x so then you hand these back to the players all but one of the players is going to know that we're drawing an airplane and the last player just sees an x do you understand where this is going i do if okay. it's like Spyfall, i yep. definitely do so then everyone one at a time gets to draw one line in their color and so everyone's collaboratively drawing the the picture of whatever they you know whatever the person wrote But one person doesn't know what the picture is supposed to be. So they have to just do their best to draw a line generally where they think a line should go based on the drawing so far. Which is hilarious. Oh, man. (laughs) I think I like this better than Spyfall. So everyone already is drawing poorly because they're not, you know, nobody knows what the the picture doesn't exist. It's just a word and they're drawing whatever that word is. They're not even sure what the other people are drawing. Oh, man. Because somebody might be thinking of a plane in perspective. Somebody might be picturing... You know, somebody might have started by drawing a tree or something to to signal like it's off the ground or something. So, uh, so everyone's drawing kind of different things anyway. And they're also, it's like Spyfall in that you want to go for two rounds. And after two rounds, the artists have to guess who the fake artist is. And if they yeah, do guess that's... who the fake artist is, the fake artist gets a chance to guess what the drawing was of. And if they can guess the drawing, then the fake artist wins anyway. This so is amazing. <laughs> this is I, I really want to play this game. We're we're gonna be playing this game at some point. Yeah, we'll so play you know. it at some point. So okay. so everyone is drawing poorly and vaguely because they don't want the fake artist to know what they're drawing and but they also need to be specific enough that they can pick out who is the fake artist. Uh, and the fake artist might be like, oh they're drawing a pineapple and make a really weird uh, veer into a direction that was totally unexpected. Uh, so then it becomes very clear who the fake artist is, even though they thought they had it down pat. So it, it's just this really funny social kind of bluffing game. Uh, what I like about it, though, compared to Spyfall, if you're playing Spyfall, people get stressed out. If somebody is the spy and they're not good at bluffing, they have a really hard time, especially at the beginning of the game when they have zero information to work off of. When I played Spyfall in the car at Bryce Canyon, I was the spy three times in a row. And it like, sucks. <laughs> it, it does suck, but like if you, you express, just gotta go with it. Yeah, if you express any sense of remorse, you, people will get you right away. Yes, that's true. So this game, it doesn't really have that because you're not speaking. 
it just takes a couple rounds. You do two rounds, so everyone just draws two lines. So really, you don't have a lot of time to hide, and you don't have a lot of time to suss out who's the fake artist. The question master also wants the fake artist to win. So it's the fake artist and the question master against the artist. So the fake. Okay. The so question, you're not alone then. Yeah, I mean, the question master really doesn't get to do anything but besides decide the topic. We also like the name, the question master. It sounds like a Batman villain. So the question master is trying to come up with something that if the question master was on the artist team, he could give really strange esoteric things that nobody would ever get. But he does want it, he does want the fake artist to be able to win. So he kind of gives simple things that make it a little bit easier. So it's, it's this pretty fun little game. And the, one of the things I like best is because these drawings are ridiculous and stupid, the notepad it comes with has a little frame around it. And then it has an area to write the theme. So what the word was the mm-hmm. title and you can title it after you're done. And then you par- mark down who the fake artist's color was. So that way, when you're looking back at it, you can see which didn't know what they were doing. So when you're done, you get these tiny little masterpieces that you can keep in the box or, or hang up or give to somebody because they're pretty funny. So that's a fake artist in New York. So we'll have to play that sometime because I think it will go over really well. I with like the group that name artists. a lot. I know a fake artist goes to New York. Excellent. The next one is the final small box game and mm-hmm. it is in a blue box. So the first one was yellow. The second one was pink and this one's blue and it's got a cute little submarine on it, but it is called deep sea adventure. So in deep sea adventure, it's a push your luck game. So what you're doing is you're all explorers looking to recover treasures from undersea ruins. But despite being rivals, your budgets force you to all share a single rented submarine. So you're renting a submarine that has limited air. And what you're trying to do is go out into the ocean and collect treasures, but then run back to the submarine before everyone else. Because if you're left out of the submarine, you lose all your treasure and you you don't die. Die? You kind of die. You respawn, you, you respawn in the sub, but if you get the treasure back to the sub, you get you get to keep it. So at the end of three rounds, whoever has the most treasure wins. The trick is there is about 25 units of air. On the beginning of someone's turn, you count up however many treasure pieces they're holding, and that's how much the air goes down. So at the beginning of the game, you're just running down to the bottom of the ocean because all the valuable tiles are down at the bottom. And these triangles way up at the surface have like values of one and two or three, and the ones at the bottom have like 12 and 15 or something like that. So you really want these like deep treasures to make sure you get the most points. Mm-hmm. But when you start your turn, you count up however many treasures you're holding, and that's how much air leaves. So at the beginning, you're just running down, sprinting down to the bottom. You're not worried about the air running out. But as soon as you start picking up treasures, that's when the clock starts ticking. And once everybody gets a treasure, it's starting to tick. You know, If you're playing with a group of six, it's ticking six down every turn. And if somebody has two treasures, it's ticking down even faster. And also, you roll to move, you roll two d6s but they only have the values one to three on it so you're either going to move between two and six spaces every turn but for every treasure you minus one of your movements so if you were carrying three treasures and you rolled a four you only get to move one space that turn because the treasure's weighing you down you know you get greedy you collect all this treasure and then the funniest part about this game is in every single game ever there's a moment where somebody just realizes all of a sudden they're standing there collecting their hoard of treasure in their arms and they do the math and there's like, there's not enough air left. I am not getting back. Oh, and their no. face just like drops. Or you can also discard treasure to try oh. and move faster, but then your points are going to go down. So they start like ditching all of their treasure trying to run back to the sub 
eventually you're just like, you're not going to make it. And then all these people die. And it <laughs> happens faster than you think. It feels like it have to because it's so it's a kind of a number crunchy game, right? Like, and, and with a game like that, you're typically aware of the numbers. Right. You can kind of start being aware of the numbers, but are people going to dump treasure? Also, uh, the movement works is if you move down three spaces, you, you know, you jump three little tokens. But if there's a person standing there, you don't count them. So if there was four people in front of you and you rolled a three, you can actually move up to seven spaces. Does that make sense? Yes. So there's a possibility if everyone lines up right when it becomes your turn that you can like just book it. You can cover massive distances. If there's if everyone if five people are in front of you and you roll a six, you can move eleven spaces. But it's it's kind of a little bit of a gamble though. Yeah, it's a huge gamble. You're rolling two <laughs> D3s. The odds are uh weighted towards the middle compared to rolling like just a D six. So you know you're probably gonna roll like a three, maybe a four. You're probably gonna be moving like three or four spaces tops. So you kind of do the math, but you know, you want the most treasure. So the first time we played, nobody made it back for the first two rounds. Everyone died. When people die, their treasure collects at the bottom in these big piles, but they only count as one treasure. And everyone ran down and collected these big treasure piles. And the distance to the bottom gets shorter Greater. every time you... No, it gets, it gets shorter because you collect the tiles out of it. And then the path down is shorter because they get stacked. At, oh, like the, I see. Either they yeah, yeah, get yeah. collected into somebody's hands or they get stacked at the bottom of the ocean. So it's actually easier to get down at the end of the game. And everyone ran down ahead of me and grabbed these big fat stacks of loot. And then I went down and, and I just, I made it, but everyone was in line ahead of me. And then there was no more spaces. So I just couldn't go any more forward. So I guess I was just like, I guess I'll go back. And I took one piece of treasure and I went <laughs> back. But then everyone was so weighed down with treasure that I was the only person who made it back. So despite everyone having like six or seven tokens or something like that, which only counted as a couple because when you get a stack, you keep it in a stack and only counts as one. But they had a couple stacks because they were greedy. I made it back with just I think I had one or two tokens because I think I collected one right outside the door of the submarine. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, I sure did lose this game. But then everyone else died. So then and they were all. And uh, if you look at Dr. Nursey on Twitter, yeah. Or on Instagram. Thirsty. He has a picture of the game I played and I'm standing in the sub with my two treasure and there's just a conga line of people directly outside the door of the submarine who all died because they just It sounds like sounds a little back. bit like the game of K2 we played the other day. Yeah, it was kind of like that. Uh so it's a it's a push your luck game because you're trying to get treasure and it's really easy to be greedy. But you just getting a few tokens and running back to the sub is probably going to serve you better than trying to get get some big ones, but you never know. Also, once you get back to the submarine, your tokens don't count against the air anymore. So if you run back to the submarine right away, and if everyone did that, the last person would just have a lot of time to spend out there collecting tokens every turn and things like that. So it's kind of this push and pull between, you know, you're you're skipping over people and you're trying to get deeper to get the better treasure, but then you better make it back to the sub or else it was all for naught. So out of the three, um, as, as, as a pure game goes, I think that one's probably my favorite. Yeah, that's as like a, that a social really activity, then uh, Fake Artist Goes to New York is probably my favorite. <laughs> Fake Artist Goes and Nine Tiles. Nine Tiles is fun, but it's 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 just like a little super quick time killer, and there's not a lot of brain work. It kind of not a real strategy game, I guess. So, so I'd say good picks considering you know. Yeah, so that was that one. The last one I got. So those are my three Oink games, and the last one I have is a little bit bigger of a box, um, and it is called Royal Warrant. And this was the one that was the most intimidating to learn because it's a bigger box. It's a more complex game. And the other ones actually came with English rule books, Japanese and English on the other side. Yeah. This one, it came with an eight page rule book that was just pure Japanese. 
and it also has Japanese on all of the cards. Um, so I was like, whoa. And then I looked on board game <laughs> geek and like the day I got back from Japan, someone uploaded a rules translation. I saw that. Very so excited. I was like, wow. And I was like, that is fortuitous because I needed to, because otherwise I'd it's never like somebody this knew. This is probably the most gamer game of the ones I got. And it's actually an auction or bidding set collection game. And you get a set of five tokens and they're just little colorful circles. And on the backside of every one, there's a number one through five. And those are what you use to bid in an auction. So there's these slots on the board where different goods slots in. They have swords, gold, fabric, or rice. And then there's these, I think they call them samurai cards, and they represent merchants or something. (laughs) I'm not sure what they represent, but they're looking for goods. So it's like a picture of a rabbit, and then Mm -hmm. it has a little list of goods, and it's looking for rice and swords and swords. And then it has like a one in the corner because it's worth one point. Mm-hmm. So what you're what you're trying to do in this game is collect goods which aren't worth any points that you can trade in for these like nobles or samurais or whatever they are. You know, you take them in your hand and you score them at the end of the game. So the way to score points is you need to collect resources to give to samurais. And then once you get a samurai, it scores you points. And the way you get anything, there's eight spaces on the board and you lay your chips down one at a time. And like I said, there's one through five. At the end of the round, you all reveal your chips. And if you were in the sword space, whoever put the highest value of chips in that space collects that resource. There's also a space that gives you the first player token, which actually makes a big difference because ties are broken by the first player. And there's a lot of ties because you're only dealing with, you know, five bidding tokens each player. Ties do happen. So I I actually really did want the first player token a lot. There's an area at the top where there's a display of three samurais who are waiting to have their orders filled. So you Mm -hmm. need to bid in order to serve them. So once you have the materials or if you think you're going to be getting the materials that turn, you can put your token up at the top. And whoever has the highest value gets to service the samurais first. So like if I was there and I gave the rabbit two swords and a gold and I collected him. Now, if you were trying to get that one, you wouldn't be able to buy him because I just bought him. So it's kind of the first come first serve as far as bidding for that space. So that's why you'd want that one. There's also a area where you can pick up some of those cards randomly and they're the exact same as the ones that are on display, but you get them in your hand and they're kind of like a secret objective. You can only service them Uh, In order to service them, you do have to bid on the top track, but you can play it out of your hand. So even if somebody took one you wanted, you could always service that guy too. And it's a way to get multiple points. Interesting. So that's pretty much the game. It's six rounds, I believe. And after six rounds, you look at all the samurai cards you've collected and you add up the points, just the face value points. And then you look at who has the most of each animal and they also have a color. So like rabbits are pink, cats are yellow, horses are blue. And whoever has the most horses gets three points and whoever has the most cats gets three points so you just look at who has the most values add those to your totals and then whoever has the most points wins and that's it so it's just this six round bidding game but it actually has a lot of crunch to it because you're you know you're really trying to count on you're like i need swords because i'm gonna bid on this guy who needs two swords and if i don't get two swords this round then my bid up here is not going to count for anything and it's gonna be wasted so i really need to go hard into swords but somebody else might have the same idea, so they're bidding against you. So you might way overpay for swords when you really just, you know, maybe the other person is throwing some low ones down there. The other thing that I think is kind of interesting about this compared to some other bidding games is it is one, two, three, four, five, and they all have number printed on one side and just the color on the other side, except for the three. 
and the three has the value printed on both sides. So you always know where people are putting the three, which just gives you a tiny bit of information where sometimes you know, okay, that person put a three down, I can put my four down, and I know I've beat them. If they put something beyond that, then you're kind of out of luck. But it gives you it gives you an idea because three is valuable. It's not the most valuable, but it's also not the weakest. So it gives you an idea of where people are actually concerned about a little bit. It's like, when do I put my three down? Because I really don't want to give too it's, much information. It's but if revealing. I keep it, yeah, you know? it, is, it reveals information. Kind of a lot of info. I feel like throwing your three down as your first bid is kind of like making a statement like, I'm prepared to fight for this one. Maybe, right. maybe not. Right. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool. I like that. That's a nice, uh, that's a nice little piece to that game. Once I wrapped my head around it, I read the rule book. I still didn't kind of get it because the rule book is, you know, it's a translation. It uses kind of strange, um, strange verbiage, I guess, in a few areas. Mm-hmm. So I had to kind of really work through it. But once I did, I totally got it. It clicked. I was like, I think I really like this game. So this one I need to play more, but it is for sure decent. It's for sure a really decent game. You saw the artwork and it's really cool. Yeah. These animal characters are very funny and it has this nice wooden first player token that has, you know, Sumi brushstrokes spelling out the, the kanji and stuff like that. So overall, it's just a really nice package. I bought it because the front cover is so cute. It's like this perfect overhead perspective of these Japanese buildings. So you're, so you see a little bit of the front of the building and then you see a lot of the roof and, you know, it has all these like little tile roofs and it's in this very light stroke line weight. Well, once I flipped it over and I saw the animals on the back, I was like, I definitely have to buy this game. So I bought it and I'm pretty happy with it. Cool. And good for you for learning a game that's only in Japanese. (laughs) Yeah. Well, luckily I found that translation. Yeah. So that was it. That's everything I got. That's a good haul. Yeah, at the least, those are souvenirs. But it sounds like you did a good job picking games. That yeah, I should have maybe bought some for friends, but I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about well, the fu- travel. Okay, here's the other thing, though. I went to game night, and I was like, check out all these games I got. And then Nursey's like, yeah, I played that one. And then Crystal was like, oh, Deep Sea Adventure. I just I just ordered that one. And I was like, oh, what? I just, <laughs> I just I hand-delivered all this. these games from Japan, and you guys are all already buying these games? What's up with this? All right. So but, they they all bought the Japanese version too. So that was just oh they a, did yeah. There's no English version of these games yet, but they all come with English rules. So if you import them, so you could get it if you wanted it. Interesting. And, okay, um, cool. I think in Japan I, I paid about eighteen hundred yen, which probably is about fifteen bucks or so. So I got it for cheaper. So that's good, and I feel can, I can feel good about that. But otherwise, I was like, this is supposed to be special, you guys. It's it's special just because you got it from Japan. That's cool, and it is bringing anything back from overseas is such an ordeal. I don't know how much luggage you guys carried, but on our work trips, we are asked to only have carry-on, which I, I kind of appreciate. I don't really like checking luggage or anything, but it does make it really interesting when you have a moment to shop. You're just like, shoot, what do really? I get? I, I am all about checking luggage these days. International I, travel, check that. I do not want to <laughs> carry it. I don't want to deal with it. I want to get on the plane with my iPad and my book, my headphones, and that's all I want. We used know, to carry everything on carry-on, and I'm so glad that we don't when we travel in international because you just check it and you're like, see you later. I'm not doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if I was up left to my own devices, I would end up doing that. Like I've since learned how to pack super light. So here's the thing about Japan. We brought my small suitcase inside a big suitcase. So we were able to have a giant suitcase. Uh-huh. Because that's what you do. Home. That's what you do if you're shopping. Yep. And we did buy a bunch of stuff. It was like a suitcase filled with um, candy, bean patties and candy. Yeah. Was- I was going <laughs> to say that's. I I had a hard time. Not, I did buy I did buy some sweets for people. And yeah, food takes up a lot of space. But I, I'm glad I got this stuff back. And I kind of wish I got more, but that's okay. 
now I know I can just order on Amazon and I don't even have to go to Japan to get these things anyway. So lesson learned. Mm. So when I got back Mm -hmm. after I recovered from my jet lag and sickness and sickness, then I was like, Oh, how I miss Japan. Francesca, (laughs) let's play a game that takes place in feudal Japan on Tabletopia. And you and I and Ryan and Felicia, your sister, Mm -hmm. all played Samurai. Yep. And we're going to talk about it right now. We are. And this is awesome because Tabletopia is something that anybody can get. If you're into playing board games with people and you're okay with doing it online, Tabletopia is a no-brainer. They have amazing games and they're getting more and they're just really high quality there's no rules enforcement, so it's like sitting there and playing a real game with somebody. Everyone's moving their own pieces and keeping their own score and everything like that. So, But it's like the answer to our prayers. Basically. So we played Samurai on it. Mm-hmm. Although, I don't know if you looked it up. I have Samurai in real life, mm-hmm. and I have the Fantasy Flight version. The version we played on Tabletopia, I believe, is it's an older version. The artwork and components are different on Tabletopia because, of course, Fantasy Flight is too big to put their stuff on Tabletopia yet. So that's kind of a bummer, but it it's still a good version of, I mean, it's the same game. It's just, didn't, it doesn't have like the fancy 3D sculpted miniatures that this one does. I've actually played another version in real life with this and it was the previous version to Fantasy Flights. And I kind of liked their little meeples or, or 3D models better. They were very stylized. They were kind of more just shapes. So like the Buddha was just kind of these two round shapes and the temple was just kind of this tall shape. Uh, and the the wheat was like these little kind of like cubes with dots on top. Mm-hmm. And I and they felt very classy compared to Fantasy Flight's kind of overly detailed. They're, Called Ameritrash? Well, yeah, but our Samurai is a very old Euro game, actually. it's It was designed in the mid-90s by Reiner Knizia, who's famous for his kind of Euro-ish, very abstract, practically themeless games. And I have played a fair amount of Reiner Knizia games, and I some of them are pretty good. Some of them I could take or leave. Uh, but Samurai is probably my favorite one that I've played that I can think of. So in Samurai, it's it's a little bit of an area control game where you're trying to take control of the three major resources in the game, religion, politics, and food or agriculture. And each one is represented by its own icon. But there's a map of Japan and there's all these different little building icons. And wherever there's a building icon at the beginning of the game, you take turns putting out these three resources, tokens for these three resources, wherever you like it. So eventually you have a map that is covered with resources. So everyone has a set of tiles that are identical. And every turn you draw five into your hand. So you always have five tiles you're able to play. As you play them, you just draw back up to five. So Mm -hmm. you're kind of limited with uh, what you can do that turn, but eventually you're going to see every single tile in your hand, and so is everyone else. And you take turns placing them out on the board. And on your turn, you just get to place, for the most part, you just get to place one hexagon. On these tiles, they have numbers, one through four, and the tile could have the number four plus the icon for agriculture, the icon for religion, or the icon for politics. politics. And when you place an, uh, one of these tiles down, if you place the agriculture one by an agricultural resource, you control influence over that area. So once you lay your tile down and one of the resources is completely surrounded on land, you say, okay, we're going to pause the game. We're going to count up everyone's influence over this resource. So if it is a helmet, which represents politics, you count up how many helmets I played. So if I played the value four helmet and the value two helmet, I would have six influence for helmets. If Francesca has a helmet touching it and hers has a three, she says three. So then I have six to her three. I claim the piece. 
So I take the helmet off the board and I add it behind my little player shield. You do this until all the resources have been removed from the map. So beyond the tiles that let you directly control a resource, like religion, politics, or agriculture, there's also samurai tiles. And samurai tiles are wild. So a samurai tile with the three counts as three uh, against anything it's touching. So they're like wilds. They are wilds. They count towards everything. So they're, they're a little, give you a little bit of ability to control multiple locations at once or uh, just come and take the control of an area right before it gets closed or something. There's also boats, which get to be placed in the ocean. So they're just a way to contribute to one of the resources before they're covered by land and, and just get a little bit of an uh, edge in there. Uh, there's also a tile that lets you swap out two resources. And there's also a tile that lets you redeploy one of your troops. And there's only one of each of those. So you you know somebody's going to be able to swap two resources on the map once during the game and also redeploy one of the troops they already played somewhere else during the game. Otherwise, it's pretty much once you play a piece, it stays there for the rest of the game. There is also one final aspect. There are certain units that have fast icons on them. When you play a unit with a fast icon, you can immediately play another tile. So it's an ability to really quickly um, do a couple things at once. There's only a few of those in the game. Each boat is fast and also one land unit, the samurai riding a horse. Um, But other than that, they are all the normal tiles that can only be played once per turn. You just continue playing, collecting resources on the map. Once the map is depleted of resources, you reveal how many you've collected. So this is where things are a little bit different because it's not just the amount you collected or anything like that. You look at who has the majority. So who collected the majority of politics resources? Who collected the majority of food resources and who collected the majority of religion resources? If any player collected the majority in at least two resources... So if I had the most politics and the most religion, I win the game. Uh If we were tied, so let's say I collected one and you collected one, and it's possible another player collected the last one, or if there's a tie, just nobody gets it. So let's say I collected the most in politics, you collected the most in religion. There was a tie for agriculture, so nobody gets that award. We would compare all of the other resources from the categories we didn't have the majority in. So if I had politics, I would look at my agriculture and my religion. If you had religion as the majority, you would look at your politics and agriculture. Whoever has the most collected after that wins. So you're trying to get a majority, but you don't want to ignore everything else entirely because there's a really good chance, especially with four players, that there's going to be a tie when it comes down to who has a majority, unless if someone played really well. So then you need to make sure you've collected a lot of the other things in addition to just what you went for the majority for. With that all said... What did you think about Samurai? I really enjoyed Samurai. I think the first game I was learning it, but the second game was ridiculously close. My strategy was to go for the the bigger cities because there's certain areas where you can collect a bunch of tiles versus just getting one at a time. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's foolproof. But you have to invest a lot to make sure you get those. Yeah. So in the end, it was very, very close. And at the end, actually, I think that's when it starts to get really hairy because... You kind of have to work with what you have to fight over these last few pieces. Yeah. So later in the game, it's really uh, it's really tense because you know every turn you're only seeing a certain amount of tiles. You're saying, "Oh, I have this really big 
score in agriculture, but I don't know where people are going to be contesting agriculture. So I kind of want to hold on to it, but then it's not serving me any real use until then. So eventually your hand might get clogged and you just are forced to play things like that. So it's kind of a tactical game where you might have a strategy and say, oh, I want to collect the most of this and this because looking at the map, maybe there's three temples that are all close together. So you're like, if I invest heavily in religion there, I'll be able to collect three religion tiles out of seven, or which would be awesome. But- you can't control when you're going to see those religion tiles. So it might just work, not work out that way. Do you feel this is more a strategy game or a tactics game or both? I would say it's a tactics game. Okay. Yeah, I, w- I would agree. I prefer tactics to strategy. So and I, I, li- I like this game yeah, a lot. Because you're definitely dealing with moment to moment decisions. And, and actually in the advanced version of the game, Francesca, you choose your starting hand. So you get to yeah. look at all your tiles and choose exactly what you want to start with, which is a big you know, it's a big kickoff to your strategy. But right. after that, every draw after those initial five is going to be random. Um, but that makes it a little bit more strategic, I think. Yeah, I think I think it does. It wasn't you know? worth playing that way with people who had never played before because you just wouldn't know what to choose in the beginning. Um, yeah, but I'd now be curious to try times, it. Yeah, no, I think sure. if we go back and play it, and I think we will, uh, I think we should definitely play that way because I think that would probably add a lot of strategy and it would make it a little bit more stra- strategic. And then after that, it's more tactical where you're you're like, I want to do this, but oh, Francesca just played this over here and I should counter that because I have something good that could either cut her off before she scores it. And and, and maybe also when you when you do score a resource, if there's a tie, nobody gets it. If mm-hmm. somebody's pulling ahead in a certain item, it might be worth it to, for you to play a lower tile just to score it instantly and not let anyone claim it. Yeah. Because it's better if nobody gets it than than. And there was a lot of that, it. I feel, happening. Especially yeah, there the was. Game. I don't know what I would call it. I would call it hate tile lane or something, <laughs> where people would be laying tiles a lot once people knew how it was working. They'd be laying tiles specifically to cut people off rather than score something for themselves. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of a denial tactic. Yeah. 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 But I, I kind of like that too, actually. I thought that was that was that part was actually really clever. You know? It was mean. Like that first game, it was, was kind of just being like, oh, I'd like this. And this was really fun. And everyone was talking and things like that. We started that second game and everyone was like dead silent. Focused. And on their turn, it would just Focused. be like, play, 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 yeah. play. Whereas the first game, everyone's like, mm, I'm going to play this over here. Uh, is it your turn yet? I think I, I think I just, tur- you know, I'm not doing anything else. Go ahead. On this turn, everyone was like head in the game being like pop, 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 pop. Because the other thing is because of the, the tiles there are certain tiles that you can play and then play another. Mm-hmm. I think in the beginning too, we were sort of like, can I go now? Did you do yeah. your, but then by the second game, you, you're like, okay, they just played that samurai yeah. on a horse. So. The only time you'd ever stop is if they played a fast tile and there's only four to fast tiles in the game. If they played a fast tile, then you'd be like, are you going to play another one or not? Yeah. No. Okay. Well, I'm going pop, pop, pop. Yeah. 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 So, oops. My yep. And that, the, that was the thing too, or that's the thing about that game is I feel like there's just enough, like the combination of the fast tiles, you know, the boats, um, the fact that you can out, you can kind of tie on pieces, like those things add just enough of like, like a wrench into things that mm-hmm. it's, it's not just strategically placing your pieces, you know, it's, it's more than that, which is really cool. I really like Samurai too, and I mean, I own it, so obviously, I, I like it. To yeah, a certain I'd like to. Man, I see. I, I do enjoy Tabletopia, but man, it's probably really fun to play in real life. Yeah, and it, you know, it scales really well because the map is modular, and you didn't see this on Tabletopia, but when you have the game, it comes in like these weird puzzle pieces, 
And mm-hmm. if you're playing a two-player game, you put the main island of Japan together. It's two pieces. And then if you're playing a three-player game, you add one, like maybe the northern island. Oh, and neat. And if you're playing a four-player game, you add the southern island. So it actually scales really well. That's cool. Because you're fighting for a lot less in a two-player game. Yeah. Yeah, two-player, it's like vicious. You know, I bet. It's yeah. very much tit for tat. You, you know, you're not waiting for three other people to go before it's your turn again. Do you, do you enjoy two-player? Yeah, it's great. It scales great. I like it at all player counts. I'm curious. I would like to... I'd give it a shot. I I liked playing it four player because it, it complicated things, you know? Yeah. Well, you never knew. I mean, Felicia came out of nowhere and just destroyed us when we were focused on, you know, smacking down Ryan and you were yeah. smacking down me and I was focused, you know, we were all yeah. focused on each other and Felicia just kind of like, she, she doesn't talk or whatever. She just she was would, doing everything and nobody noticed. She would noticed. like tie everybody. She was like, yeah. I think it tied you and I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, we'd be well, like, let's fun. count it up. And then they'd be like, oh, I won. And Felicia's like, wait a minute, you didn't count me. And I was like, what? <laughs> oh, what? Oh. Uh, but one reason I do really like it, and this is what I'm going to say about it being modular too. When you lay it down, I don't know what you thought when you first came to the came to the virtual table, but yeah, it comes in a big size box. It comes in a fairly regular price point. It might be slightly cheaper than some games, but it's it's like a $50 price point. And, you know, its board is pretty sizable. It looks like a war game or something like that. Mm-hmm. It is definitely an abstract. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's got theme, but it's really not um, very thematic. But it is quick. Yes, it is. Yeah, you might look at it and think, oh, this is going to take like an hour or something. But that second game, what did that take? Like 25 minutes or something? And there was four of yeah. us playing online. Really that, yeah. Once everyone knows how to play this game. And the first time I played it, I didn't know what to expect. I had never played it or really, I'd heard about it, but I didn't really know much about it. We learned the rules and started playing. And I was like, this is going to fly by. Like, this is going to be over before I know it. And sure enough, it was. And, you know, once you know how to play, like I said, you're just like, dot, dot, dot. I think everyone starts with 20 tiles. You might need to think occasionally, but for the most part, you only have five decisions to make every turn. There's a lot of map to look at, but if you're not able to affect agriculture you're just not able to so you can ignore that part of the board and you can look at other parts if you're playing with people who are not analysis paralysis prone a (laughs) quick game i I think they say on the front that it's like 30 to 60 minutes but usually those are those are on the conservative side usually they say like this is a two-hour game and you're like yeah maybe if everyone knows how to play and you know they're not like thinking real hard about it but this one says 30 to 60 minutes, and I would say if you if it lasted 60 minutes, you're playing with some people who are really crunching the numbers. So I think that it, it's a really quick game. And I think if you're playing with two players, it's probably like a... Like the speed, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty fast. So I really yeah. like how light it actually is. It's in the Fantasy Flight Euro Classics line and things like that. So I thought it might be a little bit heavier, but it's totally not. It's a very lightweight game that I think, you know, it's probably on the level of like a Ticket to Ride or something like that. I think Ticket to Ride takes longer. You know? It definitely takes longer, but it's simple. It's yeah, simple yeah, yeah. and the goals are clear and you're just, there's a progression. You're just kind of marching forward. You never have to be like, what's this card do? You know, what is this mechanism over here? It's just like, play your tile, play your tile. Yeah. Get the biggest number in religion over here. Get the biggest number in politics over here. I mean, this is definitely a game that I'd say I'd feel comfortable playing as a starting game to a game night. I'd definitely be like, yeah, we could start with this one. We can learn it as we play before we just to get warmed up to play something more serious mm-hmm. yeah good stuff yep so i would definitely recommend it if you're looking for kind of a lightweight euro game i really think it is pretty light that's cool by me so that's samurai and then it doesn't really matter whatever version you can find fantasy flight is who has the rights to publish it now but i like 
the older versions as well, as far as artwork is concerned. None of them are like the flashiest game in the world. Um, but I like Fantasy Flight's approach to the artwork. I like the previous versions, miniatures even, almost a little more just because they felt more like... Uh, authentic. Japan- they, yeah, authentic or Japanese in their design, whereas these Fantasy Flight ones are straight up Fantasy Flight miniatures, you know, very yeah. detailed and very plasticky and stuff. But um, they're still nice and the artwork is really nice. So all around a really nice package. If you can find it for a good price, I would say pick it up mm-hmm. and maybe you will. Oh yeah, I might. I might. I mean, I'm I'm excited too because this is... I'm always looking for games that I could, well, that I would feel comfortable teaching if I went to Mox and was teaching it to people. And I feel like this is definitely one I would feel comfortable teaching. So yeah, maybe you can play it at your birthday party. <laughs> My birthday party. Yep. I, I need something for 10 players. <laughs> do, do you have any 10 players? You can games? play three games of Samurai. Did anyone say that? Recommend see three games of Samurai. Three games of Samurai? No, but Felicia actually. You can play actually, five games of Netrunner. I, I've thought about it. I've definitely. To, you know what's close is Mysterium. 10 player? It's seven. I think it's, we could do, I mean, we could do teams. We could do two, two five player games, well, which I feel like would be easier to find. Yeah, but on Mysterium, you could easily put people on teams and just yeah. say like the, the yellow people are playing together. Put a couple yeah. together or something. Right. A couple couples together. No problem. I'm sure you'll figure something out. So anyway, that is the end of our Asian adventures. Mm-hmm. We're back in America for a while. I'm back in America until July or something, I think. Where are you? Oh, yeah. You're going somewhere else, And we're huh? going to Iceland, yeah. Yeah, jealous. I don't know. I'm sick of flying around the world. I, I don't like being in airplanes, so. Oh, yeah, that's true. But at least Iceland's not as long as Japan. No, it's not even close. So soon I will be off. But until then, game night's happening. Mm-hmm. I probably should cut this in the beginning of the show, but whatever. You're here. Anybody still listening gets to find out. Game night is happening April 7th. Mm-hmm. The theme is the stage of history. Ooh. So it's historical like games, that. things like that. And part Hamilton of the re- games, which games? Hamilton. Hamilton? No, oh, yeah. I don't think I do. <laughs> okay. I have. Uh, no, I don't. How about George Washington? Uh, there, is he in Sherlock Holmes consulting detective? No. Was that around the same era at all? I don't really know when Sherlock is really supposed to have taken place. Uh, no, it's Sherlock Holmes is after. Oh, is it like 19th century or something? It's like yeah, like late 1800s. Okay. Yep. Uh, nope, I don't then. But we will be playing games all about history and taking place all over the world. And it's kind of a reference to Soul Calibur, although I cannot find oh. the audio sample anywhere on the internet. But I, I distinctly remember the, the character selects the screen saying, Welcome back to the stage of history. <laughs> I, all I know about Soul Calibur is that Roxy played it. Well, see if she remembers that. Although she might have not. She was probably playing one of the later ones because she's a baby. But I believe it was from the first one on the Dreamcast because I remember playing it in college and everyone saying that all the time. So anyway, game night, April 7th. And then also Botanica opens April 15th, the week after. Yay. Yeah. So get ready. Tax day and Botanica. Same. Both both wonderful deadlines. Wonderful Just deadlines to play wonderful on a wonderful deadlines. day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's all that's coming at you. Francesca, thank you for joining me for another episode of Shuffle Buddies. It was fun. Thank you. Let's do the next one much sooner than this one. Oh, for sure. Like, I'll be able to talk about Cafe Mox. Oh, yeah. You can talk. We'll have one called Francesca's Birthday Surprise. Ten ten people games. We're all just going to play like Pictionary or something. No. (laughs) I will. I ref- no. We will absolutely not be playing Pictionary. Yeah. It's my party, and we'll play the games I want to. All right. Like no, I said, I told Francesca she should just 
Skype me on her phone and play Netrunner while everyone else che- <laughs> cheers her on. So, or you on. They might be on your on. side. Yeah, they might. Once they see my sick deck, they're going to be on my side. Yeah. Wait, which deck were you, who you build now? Um, I haven't built anything lately. I have to get back to it. I believe I made that HB deck, and I need to go back to that because I played it once and realized I need to work on it. Yeah, I need to work on my criminal a little bit. A so little that's bit. what we should go do now. All right, deal. All right, well, thank you for joining me, Francesca, and we'll yep. talk with all of you soon. Bye. Should we have a fun Closer. outro where we say, keep playing the games that play you or something like that? <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. Do you have a better outro? No. Nope, that one's good.